So in this podcast, we have a real special treat because on the pod this week, we have Sean McFadden. Sean's one of those guys that you don't always see if you're a student, but if you're one of these faculty members, he's a staff member that makes all the difference in how your program runs. He doesn't want to be referred to as a historian of Ryerson, but he's both an alumni and he's been here for a long time. And despite not being that old, he is also somebody who might get the bad rap for being a big bad wolf at times, but really he's just a big teddy bear and you're going to meet him now. Sean McFadden, everybody, welcome to the pod, Sean. Thank you very much for uh, doing this with us. You're, as I was telling you, we're off air. You are our first non-student podcast. Um, and it's really special because we're obviously in a very uh, special time, which we'll talk a little bit about later. Sean McFadden, tell me about your role at Ryerson. What do you do? Um, thanks, Brian. Uh, I'm a technical specialist, so I help run and coordinate the general chemistry, organic chemistry to a lesser extent now, and spectroscopy labs. And so, how did what, where did it all start for you? So, where where were you born? First of all, where's hometown? Kind of split, actually. I'm kind of uh, with Sega Beach, and Toronto. Did you? I know you spent a lot of time in normal summers at the cottage during like in July, but that's that is at Wasaga, so that was your hometown. Pretty much, yeah. Like I was there. Like I always went to school in Toronto. Okay. Um, I have an older brother uh, who went to school up in Wasaga Beach, and. For reasons that I still don't know, my dad said that I would never go to school up there. So I didn't. And uh, so I was always in school here, but every weekend, all summer, and other times I was always in Wasega Beach. It's probably the partying that, that's, that you didn't want you to be a, a total total beach bum uh, because if you were to stay up there. Okay. So schooling, okay, so you, you, you now, and where do you live now in the, in the city? Like what area? Uh, in North York, the northern part of uh, North York. Okay. So what now you, if I remember correctly, you actually, you went to Ryerson as an undergrad. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I started in 94 in the, uh, it was what they called the CABS program there, chemical and biological sciences. So it was like a dual major. And then after you did your undergrad, you, you also did more schooling here. Yeah. I did. Uh, when I was done, Ryerson actually didn't even have a grad program. Uh, so we had a partnership with the university of Teesside in England. So I was physically on Ryerson campus doing research, but enrolled in England and my defense and the whole team and that was in England. So I had to go to England to do my defense. Oh, cool. I, I didn't, didn't even know that. So, okay. So you're, you actually do your defense in England. What was your, what was your PhD or your, sorry, your master's degree in? So it was looking at um, titanium dioxide and the mechanistic study on how to break that down. Uh, break down organic compounds uh, using artificial sunlight. In fact, we just talked about that in my group meeting this past week. So that's that's a cool project. Okay, so it, but it was a it was a chemistry master's in chemistry MCAM, is that what's called in UK? Uh, <laughs> it gets even crazier. Uh, it's a doctorate, uh, actually a master's of philosophy in chemical engineering. Technically. Okay. Okay, so you okay, so you have a chemical engineering background then, even though you you not not like just in degree. Yeah, I would never call myself a chemical engineer. <laughs> so, did you have any big? Uh, so then, after that, you I don't know what year that was, but did you did you did you jump right into the working at Ryerson, or did you have a transition in between? Well, actually, I was while I was doing finishing my master's, I was also working at Ryerson. 
uh, I was actually 11 years on contract. It was kind of a bit of a scary period. And, yeah. uh, I also and for those people, those people who are students, what do you mean by that? Because a lot of students will graduate and they won't. What do you mean by that? I think that might be more common moving forward maybe than the past. Right. So I would be like a fixed term. So you're here for four months, say. In fact, that would be, I wouldn't be even hired for the full year. It'd be like, we'll hire you for the fall to do organic okay. count. And then come December, okay, we'll renew you for Gen Chem in the winter. And then every summer I got kicked loose. I was unemployed effectively. Uh, and then back in the fall, they would hire me back to be a tech again. And so you, you did that for 11 years. That's right. So when did that end? Uh, I think, was it two? It must have been close because I think you've always been. Yeah, so that could be right because 2011 I started and I, and I assumed based on everything that I knew about you was that you were full time. Like you were, but that would have been 2011. So yeah, it, it was a long time coming. I started as a tech in 2000. So yeah, it'd be, it'd be yeah. right when you were first hired. So that's, that's a lot of uncertainty while still being kind of a true Ryerson community member, like doing all of your stuff here. That's a long time to be just in limbo. How did that, how did that make you feel? It was hard. And in fact, one term uh, in a fall term, they didn't hire me back. But I didn't find out till like September 4th that I wasn't working September 9th. So it, oh, wow. was, it, was, it was a challenging term. I always had to have like, um, like a treasure, a piggy bank you know, set aside funds just in case that did happen. I was also TAing at the time, uh, picked up night school contracts. I was trying to piece together everything I could. Um, yeah. One year I was working as a tech at York University at night and Ryerson during the day. So each place was keeping me just under the number of hours that you need to get to get benefits because benefits yeah. are really expensive. So I was yeah. kept one hour under. So it was a really challenging time because I, at the time I had a really young family. So yeah, I was going to say you have two boys and, and they would yeah. be born during that time that you just mentioned. Right. Exactly. So yeah, it was, it was a little scary. Uh, yeah. I wasn't sure where I'd be ending up. So I'm glad I ended up at Ryerson. And then we're glad you are too. And I was just thinking how easy that, that Denning has it. Eh? Like you didn't have to put in any time at all. Anyway, we'll, we'll get Rob Denning on the, on the pod a little bit later on. We'll get to know him too. Um, when you were a kid, did you always want to be a technical specialist? What did you want to be when you were a kid? Um, well, it depends on how far back you go. Uh, as a young kid, I thought prime minister was a good gig. Um, <laughs> I don't only, think you'd want that job right now. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, but, you know, I just wanted to make change in the world to make it better, right? Yeah. Um, I always liked science. I loved science growing up. Um, you know, and that's why when the chemistry and biology, I loved both. So as a dual major, it made sense that way because I didn't know which one I wanted. You know, loved biology and, uh, you know, picked up chemistry really well. High school, I hate to say I got my job out of spite or my field career out of spite, but it kind of was. In high school things, I didn't know what I wanted like a lot of people. And the only course I really had to work at was chemistry because I had this mean old crotchety chemistry teacher that failed 90% of the class and didn't care because he was retiring. So I had to really work at it because I said, I'll show you, Mac. And I did. I got an A in the course, but I had to work at it. In the process, I'm like, hey, this is kind of cool. I get it now. 
well, no, I think we're motivated by all different things. And some of us are motivated from spite. Some of us are motivated as fear. Some of us are motivated because of just sure interest or curiosity. I don't know. I think that's a good, that, that's as good as any of them. <laughs> I mean, it got you where you are. And uh, were you, were you, when you were doing your undergrad, were you a good student? As an undergrad, like at first I was looking to go to become a full prof. Right. Okay. I love teaching. I knew I knew needed that. I love. And so when that. it was, sorry, well, let me just cut the offer. So when did you know that you love teaching? Like how, because you wouldn't have had much experience when you were an undergrad, right? No, no, that's true. Uh, I actually started TAing in third year, okay. which was, you know, something that's impossible now. But at the yeah. time I was TAing in third year, I almost was in TAing in second year, actually. They were short of people, but, um, you know, I love that aspect. I, I really enjoyed doing it. It's something that uh, really was meaningful to me. So I thought, you know, keep going through, become a professor. That sounds like a really interesting thing to do and something I'd really enjoy. And then I looked at how much painful treadmill work there is getting grant proposals to get money to do work, to make a paper, to get money, to do grant proposals. And it just... I felt that I was better serving people with my hands because I was I, writing. I, I can do it. It's not a problem, but it's not something I enjoy. Um, more the hands-on lab work. I very much enjoy in particular, the uh, instrumentation type uh, stuff is what I really loved to start off with. Perfect. So you, okay. So let's you, in your role, what is a day in the life of, um, of a technical specialist look like because i think a lot of people are like oh yeah i like teaching too and oh i'm a ryerson alumni and now they're they may be charmed by some of the things you're saying so what is what does a technical specialist do in the day well uh it's really diverse which is something i quite like i help out with a lot of research groups so that can be almost anything um we thank you for it, by the way episode. what's that and we thank you for it too i i was going to say this earlier when you mentioned my time starting and your time becoming a permanent contract you were very helpful in the beginning, getting my lab set up and getting me oriented with all of the different procedures that we had to follow here. So definitely, yeah, I agree. Then thank you. My, my pleasure, Brian, my pleasure. And like I say, I like working with the different research groups. You know, it's cutting edge research. So it's new, it's like novel. It's a lot of troubleshooting, a lot of creative ways of getting around things and making things work. You know, we're not U of T. We don't have like a billion dollars to, oh, well, we just need to build a new, buy a new piece of equipment. We have to be a little more creative in some ways. And, you know, I work with not just our department, but like chemical engineers, civil engineers uh, with the analytical facility. So I'm exposed to a wide range of things from acid rain effects on concrete to the fashion department needing artificial sweat for new materials that they're making. So yeah. it's pretty diverse. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Artificial sweat, especially. You, I've got a lot of sweat. <laughs> um, so, but, and so the teaching role, so stu students, though, will interact with you. Um, yeah. I think you've sort of taken a step. You've become more of a leader. They don't always see you on a week-to-week -week basis because TAs have more of a presence in the lab. Um, in some cases, Rob, Rob Denning has, has helped to support the, the – and so how – how, in terms of teaching, what, do you miss that? Or you're still doing some of it in the, in the Chang School, right? Well, yeah, I, I keep my night school teaching um, because I love to do it. So I, I keep my hand in that. Plus, I've been doing a lot of lab development, um, curriculum development to make the labs a better place. So actually, I kind of use the night labs as a, a place to test out new things as well. 
So a lot of new technologies that I've helped, you know, procure uh, new spectrometers, uh, new other things for the department. And uh, I really like the ability to test out new things and develop to make the labs better. Um, I do still go through the labs, um, like the undergrad uh, Gen Chem in particular, organic as well. Um, but really, because there's so many sections and multiple sections going on at the same time, I'm kind of roving between them constantly. And so some of the and so some of the student interactions that they will have they they'll be scary ones with you in those situations because you'll be yelling at them to 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 make sure that they're they're wearing their glasses or whatever. So let's just I mean let's just talk about that because that's if that's the first time they meet you they're like oh god who is that big meanie right? But you're doing it <laughs> for a very good reason. So maybe you could just explain why it's important that you can't like you can't wait you can't be ex having to explain yourself. It's not like you're trying to be mean. It's because finish that thought. It's, it's safety. Um, like I'm also the departmental safety officer and I'm very keen on safety. And really I, I wanna emphasize it in the early years because if you're just used to wearing safety glasses, used to having your lab coat done up, it becomes second nature. You don't even think about it, right? So people just do it afterwards. But you know, it's, it is a learned experience how to operate safely in a lab. And you're right, sometimes, you know, I have been called the big bad wolf, but, uh, you know, ultimately, yeah, sometimes people think that I'm a real meanie, but really I'm just looking out for their best interests. I don't want to yeah. see anyone hurt. And also, too, I mean, you've seen people get hurt, like, in, in, by, by really innocent circumstances. And so, um, and I think, just so that everybody knows in the pod, Sean has made me go back to my office to put on pants. And by the way, I was wearing shorts, so I wasn't, <laughs> but you know, you can't have, you know, I can't have legs exposed. Sean has made me go and do up my coat before walking into the lab. So you're not the only one if you're a student that Sean has scolded. And while it sucks to be scolded by anyone other than your mother, because you just get used to that. That still isn't great, but if you just get used to it. Um, it's one of those things that you're just like, F off, Sean. And then you quietly do up your buttons as you go into the, <laughs> you just, it's, it's one of those things. It's just, yeah, you're right. It just, it, you, you need the reminders and we all need those reminders. And so, um, because you know, accidents are exactly that. You never know when they'll happen. They can happen at any moment. And your eyes, especially if you're not wearing your glasses are probably the most important sense you wouldn't want to lose. Anyway. Like I've seen several, you know, from lab fires. So a whole fume hood went foom. Um, more than once, sadly, um, yeah. chemical burns, many, um, you know, several people have lost their pants, yeah. um, spill stuff on even, even those extractions with ether and those people pointing it at the wrong way, right? Not venting yeah. it or whatever. Anyway, there's, and, yeah. and those, and that's one way yeah, that, unfortunately that's some of the only ways to learn because you don't really understand what you're doing. And even if you read a book, you can't always understand what you're doing, but yeah. So, but if you're pointing it by accident at someone who's not wearing glasses, that's, that's now a huge situation. Right. And we know that that happens far too often. <laughs> um, what about so the other thing I think you do in your role and it's been really busy the last few years. And I think transitioning into this new building that we're pretty excited about down the pipeline. Um, but also we've done those massive renovations and you're also designing the labs and how we move and function. And that must take up a huge amount of your time too. Yeah, it was, um, it was a big amount of my time. Like, um, based on like other things in my life, I understand construction principles. Up in Wasega Beach, my family is a cottage business. So you name it, I've done it from carpentry, electrical, plumbing, all that. 
So I can understand and I know building code. So I helped with the design because I also know, obviously I've been doing this for over 20 years, how labs flow and how people move in a lab. So the spacing and the needs and trying to future-proof. So I looked at what we've done. I toured other labs as well, just to get an idea from them, what works, what doesn't work. So yeah, I was uh, really happy to be able to um, design up uh, Kerr Hallmark 205, 201, 213, the new analytical facility. I helped uh, with the research lab 301, uh, 305, 307. So yeah, I, I was honored with that. And they're beautiful spaces and I can't wait to see what we're going to do and what you're going to do with the new building. What do you, what would you say, what do you like best about your job? If you had to pick one thing, what would it be? You know, it's, I really feel a sense of accomplishment quite often, you know, be it fixing a piece of equipment and you get it working again. That's amazing. So that troubleshooting technical sequential work, I really enjoy I enjoy the organizational part of it. I do like the interaction with the students. I love that aha moment when I can see a student actually get a concept and they, that look on their face when they're like, right, I get it. That's, that's really rewarding. And my job is really diverse. Like every day is different. I, you know, I make a plan. I want to accomplish this today. And quite often by about 9.30, I just throw that out and other things have completely taken over my day. But that's okay. I like it. I think people keep coming back to you because you get things done, right? Like that's, I think that's the other thing too. You like the sense of accomplishment. And so here, here's something else you can accomplish on. <laughs> we like giving you those things to do. <laughs> what do you, okay. So what do you like least about your job? Um, sometimes I'm, you know, asked to do things or set up things that just don't make sense. Right. It's like, it's something that on the onset I know is not going to work. Right. And I've tried to like I get this sadly with engineers a lot um, with the research projects and they're trying to measure something with a specific instrument. And I know it's not going to work. They're choosing the wrong technique and they just do not seem to wish to understand or listen to my suggestions. And it's it's that's a really frustrating thing. And I think that's consistent because you like to get things done and you like those aha moments. And if neither of those things happen, then you literally, that time has been completely wasted for you, right? <laughs> Cause you haven't. Yeah. So what, what, what do you think, what inspires you the most about your job? Like what, like what is the thing that like, so as opposed to like inspire, you know, like what gives, what really gets you motivated each day? You know, I think just, you know, every day I try and make it a better place. I really do. I, I look at what we're currently doing. I look at what other places are doing as well. Um, and then I try and say, what is missing in our curriculum? I'm also on the curriculum committee. So I look at the whole big picture as well, right? I look at how do all these courses fit together? How do all these labs, the experience that you get in each one interact with the other one and try and make that to be an excellent experience so that our graduates, when they walk out the door, they can walk into any lab anywhere and immediately an asset to that place that's and i think no that's a fantastic answer i think it transfers into my next one because it's not always about technical skills that are the the huge asset those transferable skills um, are also really important so when you think of students good students or what a good student looks like it's not about a gpa per se What, what transferable skills do you like to see our students get or just generally what do you like to see in students i think you know the The biggest thing that I've been really working on implementing and introducing more of is the communication skills. 
So at the latest um, CIC conference, I went, there's a whole vendor area. So I went to each one of the vendors and I said, I'm not looking to buy your stuff, but I'm teaching the people that could be your next employee. What is it that we're not doing a good job of? What would you like to see in the new hire walking in the door that they don't have currently? And, and what's the most popular answer? Yeah. Communication, eh? Yeah. Huh. That's, and that's, that's both verbal, much. verbal and writing, or was there one particular one that they, that they seem to like more? Uh, both, both. Okay. It was, I tried to, you know, dig a little deeper and I asked that and they said both. They need the ability to communicate the results. They need the ability to, you know, quickly portray their data. So, you know, that's why like for general chemistry, I've introduced a, a lot of graphing. And I'm trying to introduce like those soft skills, uh, organic, for instance, I introduced more of the report writing. So the things like an executive brief, it's not like a full formal report that nobody really reads. Yeah. It's an executive brief. It's what you would give your boss to quickly portray what information you have obtained from an experiment, what went wrong, what went right, where we go now. So very much like a one page or maybe it's two pages in the actual, but it's, it's meant to be concise and it's meant to be that what are the take home messages of this study? Yeah. And that, that's really good. Um, so what I like to do now is I like to shift into the, uh, the rapid fire questions, which are a little bit more funner, a little less deep, a little bit less shallow. And okay. so um, let's just get started. So what, and, and I guess you try not to list something that you already said, but um, what factoid, do my colleagues know least about me? That I also scuba dive. Okay, that's good. Where do you go scuba diving? Oh, at, uh, out on Wasaga when you're out in the beach? So uh, Tobermory is the kind of Ontario oh, mecca yeah. for scuba diving. I've been there several times. I'm actually an instructor as well. So oh, cool. I'm a scuba instructor. And there's a place near uh, Midland, uh, Hope Island, Christian Island yeah. area that has some excellent wrecks. That's one of my favorite places. Locally. So the wrecks, I was gonna say, so you like to see the old uh, shipwrecks. There was something, was something just pulled out of Lake Michigan or something, I read something just really recently, or they found something, a whole hull came up on the shore, it was washed up because of a major storm that they had. This, anyway, that's, that's not part of the rapid fire questions, very cool. I actually did know that, but I had completely forgotten until you told me again. All right, so what, okay, what famous person, current or otherwise, would you most likely, would most like to go to dinner with and why? Alan Alda. <laughs> so from MASH? From MASH. Um, my dad actually was in Korea as a stretcher bearer during the Korean War. And as a kid, my dad's gone now, but as a kid, we would watch MASH every night that it was on. Uh, for those of you who aren't 40, uh, that was a comedy <laughs> show that was a uh, mobile. I was quite young too. How old are, how old are you? How old am I? Yeah, because you, you're older than me, but not much. You can't possibly be. But I, I only remembered MASH very young. So maybe you remember. Well, I'm, I'll tell you, I'm 42. So are you the same age? I'm older than you. I'm 46. Okay. Okay, so that, okay, so then you, you will have had more of a seasoned experience with MASH. I love MASH, by the way. I thought it was hilarious. Um, I don't think it did a lot for German stereotypes, but... <laughs> no, no, sorry, I'm, I'm confusing MASH and Hogan's Heroes right now. Those two shows were different time periods, but they kind of mix in my head. Anyway, that's not, it's not about me, it's about you. What's your favorite food? Definitely pizza. 
definitely pizza. What's your favorite beverage? A nice cold beer. <laughs> and what is your favorite color? Purple. If complete this sentence, if I was not a technical specialist, I would like to be a scuba diver in Maui. Oh, that would be nice, especially this time of year. Something that is in your top 10 of your bucket list. Ooh, bucket list. Um, I said top 10. To get my PhD. Okay. In education or yeah. in, I was going to say, you might want to consider the management thing too because of the way you manage different projects. Project management would be cool. Anyway, um, who is your favorite, who is or was your favorite role model? Um, I guess it would have to be my mentor is what I call him as. Uh, his name was Dennis Walmsley. He was a technical specialist before me and I kind of traipsed around him as an undergrad and picked up a lot of the skills that I currently have from him. He, cool. um, and if it wasn't that, it would be my grandfather who I used to traipse around and pick up a lot of the skills <laughs> that I from him. So it depends I, I, on I how think, old I was. So, I uh, think that I think that's what a role model is supposed to do. So that's, that, that is, that is good. What would you say is your greatest achievement? I would have to say the current labs that are designed now, 205, 201, those 213. I think, I think uh, you know, at Ryerson in particular, I think that's, that's the best thing I've done so far. I, th I think I'd agree. What was your greatest failure? It doesn't have to be a Ryerson. It could be anything. Hmm. I don't know. I can't think of a greatest failure right now. I'll get I'll get one of maybe Rita to do to do me on a pod future podcast. Uh, I can share mine too. I, maybe people sometimes don't. Okay. So what next question is? What are you most grateful for? Uh, I'm really grateful that you know I have solid employment uh, because for many years I didn't. Right. So yeah. that that to me means a lot. I have a healthy, happy family. Um, that's important, you know. That's yeah, and I think for. I'm actually very grateful that you didn't become jaded because those kind of situations where people kind of string you along for a long period of time can be disheartening and, and really test people's loyalty. And so I'm certainly glad that, that you came out of that um, um, unscathed. What, what concerns you the most moving forward sort of, and we're in the time of COVID, we'll talk about that later, but let's, outside of that, what, what concerns you the most right now? Well, obviously right now there's so much uncertainty and it's hard to kind of look beyond that, to be perfectly honest with you. I think, you know, um, there's a lot of discussion on what is the value of a lab and are we still going to be continuing to do them? Like, you know, every conference I've gone to, everybody agrees that a lab is a useful experience to get the hands-on, you know, knowledge. And we're doing things to, you know, do our best to become remote as needed and virtual and augmented and, you know, kitchen chemistry or citizen chemistry and things like that. I just, I really don't want to lose sight of the fact that that experience in the lab is a really unique one that I think it's so valuable that the students have that time to experience science one-on-one -on -one with whatever they're doing. And, and I'm worried that we would lose sight of that. 
especially in the time when economics drives so many decisions because labs do have a cost involved with them. They have a footprint in terms of space. I completely agree. I mean, I can't see in chemistry or biology or any experimental science where that wouldn't be a disaster. Like no matter what we do in this short term, no matter how amazing our solutions are, if we were ever to augment that with something, it would be less of an experience and certainly less, it would be a real hit to researchers um, such as myself as well. Um, what spot in the world do you most like traveling to? Uh, Cozumel, Mexico for scuba diving is probably one of my favorites. Um, Bonaire is certainly a huge favorite. Uh, again, I like to travel someplace nice and warm and go underwater for a while. But I was told, I was told a diversity in a warm space, although the fishes are more colorful and whatever, the water is clearer. It, there's, le there's less diversity in those areas. Um, it's just different. It's different. And yes, it's colorful. And yes, it's beautiful. I think, you know, when you get into the actual reef structures, the diversity is incredible. Yeah. You know, and a lot of divers, in particular new divers, they go so quick because it's exciting. They miss out on a lot of the nuances, like the small fish, the small little, like small pieces of coral that are just beautiful into themselves. So. Yeah, even those ones that are those long, thin fish that right at the surface of the water that you can barely see, but they kind of, I wouldn't even notice them otherwise. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things with, with any sort of experience. Um, what would you say is your most productive time of day? I'm not a morning person. So <laughs> uh, it would have to be uh, right after lunch. Right after lunch. So you're not somebody who eats a big lunch then and gets slowed down by it. It's just you're able to persevere. Okay. Yeah. And what is, okay. You've already said scuba diving and I know that's driven a few of your answers. So you have to pick a different one. What is your favorite hobby? Cause I know it's scuba diving. What is your second favorite hobby? Uh, classic cars. I would have to say oh, I have really? a 1967 convertible Mustang. No way. That's like one of my dream cars. I actually, it's not a convertible Mustang. It's a Corvette Roadster. That would be my dream car. And it's 1967, which was a good year for engines. That's cool. That would have been my factoid. <laughs> it was me. I don't know, but that's cool. I did not know that. Okay. Um, well, mine's in a million pieces right now and full of holes. So it needs a lot of work, but I have it. It's okay. not going so anywhere. You don't have a car. You have parts of a car. I have all the pieces, yes. Okay. <laughs> They're just not together. That's funny. Okay. So um, last question before we get into the, the specific stuff about COVID. Um, what piece of advice would you give your second year self knowing what all the wisdom and all the experiences that you've had but you know a lot of our listeners are, are undergraduates and and they struggle or and i don't think you answered were you a good student question were you a good student at ryerson um well actually it was kind of a bit of a, a roller coaster uh first year uh i was one of those students that was told look to your left look to your right all three of you will fail so uh i worked my can off and, you know, I was Dean's List, Honor Roll, you name it. And then I quickly realized I don't need to work this hard. So second year, I kind of slacked off, discovered that the campus had a bar. That was nice. Um, and is it the same I, bar as it is now? No, actually, it used to be in the basement of Jorgensen. So I didn't even have to go outside to get to the bar. So it was oh, wow. called the, yeah, <laughs> it was used to be called the Edge actually was the name of the bar so oh. it's a long time ago but any event um then kind of 
in second year after a little while I realized that this wasn't working out too well and you know there's a lot of people around me I don't want to necessarily just have the same degree as them I need to do something a little more to distinguish myself right because at the time and probably now a BSc on its own is probably you're going to have a challenge to get hired unless you have some other skills or other attributes that you can have so you know I think you you've asked me a lot of questions on other things in my life and I think that's where a student my advice would be is foster those other things too to make a complement to form to make a niche for yourself so if you like business for instance that's great you know get the business courses get your science courses put join them together. the SDZ you could join the SDZ as well yeah that's like your spatial yeah no like that's what I mean like you you need to be able to distinguish yourself from everyone else to prove to an employer let's give this person a shot they have something unique and different than the rest of the resume sitting on my desk yeah I completely agree you have to stand out and you can do that by yeah being more well-rounded great advice okay let's talk about COVID mm -hmm. um we're going to suit some uncertain times, obviously, as we talked about, alluded to earlier. What do you think, what is your biggest challenge in all of this crisis right now in terms of the future? Well, we're looking to, we're, we're taking a multifaceted approach. So right now I feel like I'm a mental hand grenade and I'm exploding in all directions. But, you know, we're looking at uh, developing an augmented reality uh, platform that would complement lab videos that we're currently shooting to be able to remotely deliver the laboratory courses and the material such that students can still interact and get a laboratory experience in their home. So I know nothing about AR. And in fact, it took Rob to explain the difference between AR and VR to me uh, only a couple weeks ago. So uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a learning curve. Um, I'm also working with the group with the uh, STZ with respect to a challenge to um, look at alternate means to deliver a lab. Actually, on Monday, we're going to be meeting with the, the students to, you know, I'm kind of the consultant and ultimately one of the judges to help with this, you know. And potentially an end user as well. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Like, the thing what I want to do with the AR is, like, you know, for certain it's a distinct possibility we're not going to be able to get back in labs in the fall. So if that's the case, how can we best serve our students to give them an experience? But I also want to not have this, whatever we do, a one-trick pony. I want to be able to use the material to then, when we are back in, like I'll say, normal labs, to have this as a resource that students can access it and effectively do part or even all of the lab at home before they actually come into the lab and do the lab. So a lot of students, I think, would really appreciate that extra, you know, chance to do it over. To, yeah. oh, I screwed up this lab. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I can't do much. But if you did it at home and you screwed up the lab, you can do it again and again. Yeah. And I think it would definitely help prepare our students, which is something I'm really big on because if you're prepared, you're safe.
Yeah, and I agree that I think that's it's a really good point that this isn't a one trick pony. Solutions would be it, it would be very short sighted if we just were planning for the now when we can be planning for the future as well. You mentioned this idea of uh, being a mental hand grenade, and you know you're, you got a family, and I don't know how much time you spent with them before, but you spent a lot of time with them recently. Um, what are your strategies for coping in all of this? Like how what, you know how are you keeping sane? Um, because you, one of your things you said one of your reward structures was this feeling of getting things done and accomplishing and if you're just doing thinking experiments that's not a short turnaround right like you there will be a sense of accomplishment yeah so how, how are you doing this like what are what are how are you doing it's um i'm doing okay um i've been very self-motivated throughout my career at ryerson um for years and i love my predecessor tax but they weren't really keen on change so I would really challenge myself to make things better. And it was really my initiative that did it. And I was the one pushing me to do this. So I've continued with that. Um, I've tried to, some of the initiatives I've done so far, uh, I quickly determined that every page I remove out of the Gen Chem lab manual saves an entire ream of paper based on the number of students. So oh, yeah. I've tried to put all That's the introductions online. Yeah. Uh, I've already made all the quizzes online. That was from last semester. That seemed to be a real success. I've developed self-assessments um, self online so the students can help prepare for the quizzes multiple times um, to help them. Uh, all of the reports are going to be submitted online as well to save more paper. Uh, data sheets are going to be end up to Google Forms, which will help with the TAs and the marking as well. So there's been all of these initiatives that I've done there. I was hoping to do some more with the quizzes and things like that with organic. That was part of my summer project. Um, this- uh, can, I, can I ask, it, can, I, can I cut in? This idea of self-motivation, because I think a lot of people are losing their motivation. And I, I'm the same way, and I don't know, maybe it was because we followed those people, our mentors, the people that we followed around, always were doing things and fixing things and always finding problems to solve. Is that, is that do you think, in terms of your core strengths and, and why you are so self-motivated, did, did it come from those people? Uh, yeah, I think that's that's a really valid uh, assessment. I never thought of it that way, but you're you're absolutely right. You know, like uh, my grandfather, who literally I followed around as long as I could walk, lived to be 94. And, yeah. you know, into his 80s, I had to tell him to get off of his roof to fix it because he was up on his roof because there was a leak. Yeah. So it's just, he was always doing things. And, you know, I, I learned so much from him that way. And uh, similarly, Dennis, he would always jump in. If there was something broken, he'd be like, uh, you know, a dog with a bone. He wouldn't let go of it until it was either determined it was completely dead or yeah. it was back fixed. Yeah, I think, I think that's a, it's a valid point. Like I grew up on a farm, so I had the, that's the doer experience. There was always something to do and there was always somebody doing things. Otherwise, you would. And so I never, I've never found... A, a time to not do things <laughs> like, like, and so I think I and that's sort of my definition of what self-motivation is um so but what about the family working at home how do you how are you productive when you're you know sitting on a couch it's uh it's a bit of a challenge um my wife teaches English to newcomers to Canada so she's doing zoom sessions of that like twice or three times a week so I have to kind of be in a different room or a different area and things like that um my two boys are in high school. They're supposed to be doing work. 
I'm not confident that that's actually happening. Um, but, uh, you know, they, uh, you know, they're busy. They do a lot of video games too. So, you know, that's one thing. My we're all using, we're all using video. Right now, so. uh, we're all using video now. So that's what to be expected. What would you say is, uh, is your silver lining in this pandemic? I think, you know, like ultimately it takes, it allows people to take a step back and kind of really reevaluate what they're doing in life and really take a look at what's important and, you know, maybe value that time you spend with people a little more, obviously maybe not the people you're quarantined with because you may be wanting to choke them right now, but the ones you can't see, right? Like the distant, like, you know, the grandparents, the parents, the friends, you know, that, that what you can't see is what's really important. And, you know, also like, you know, it's, it's a scary time. There's so much uncertainty, right? There's so much uncertainty. Nobody can predict when things will be back, when we'll be back, when will anything will be back. So, you know, you just have to live in the moment. I agree. And it's also a great time to be creative and reconnect because we have the time to be creative. Well, I get you, I know you are, your tasks right now are a little bit more reactionary because of what needs to happen, but it is a good time to sort of just rethink things and find out what's valuable and what's not just globally. That's awesome, Sean. Any uh, parting thoughts from, from you before we uh, end the interview? I've got lots of good stuff to share with everybody. Um, but any things from you? No, I think, you know, you've covered a lot of things, you know, based on what's going on at Ryerson. I just want to, you know, I don't want to be the historian of Ryerson of the department, but I have been around for a long time. I think it's an exciting time to be at Ryerson. I really do. Like, you know, I have worked at York. I have worked at U of T. And the experience you get at Ryerson is by far the best of the three that I have experienced with. And like you, you end up in a better position, much better position to actually enter the workforce or go on to be graduate school. I think, you know, don't, uh, don't second guess, you know, people sometimes make fun of it, say, you know, Rye High or DeVryerson. I've heard both of those. Um, no, no. The quality of your education is as good, if not better in a lot of cases, than you get elsewhere. Perfect. I love it. Anyone that, and hopefully we can all be back there soon. And <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll all get to have that, that favorite beverage of yours uh, together. Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks again, Sean, for this. I really appreciate your time and uh, sharing uh, your little bio sketch with us today. No problem, Brian. Appreciate the opportunity. Take care. You too.